Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Turnbuckle Training. Introducing first your longtime fan, short-time podcaster, and former fantasy wrestling hardcore champion, Peyton Quickie Quickie Speedboy Green. And his tag team partner making his debut in the wacky world of fighting fools, Zach the Tiny Flying Man Barlow. This is a show for longtime wrestling fans and rookies alike. We're going to take you through some of the biggest shows, matches, and rivalries in wrestling history, or at least the ones I can talk about for a little while. And if you know nothing about wrestling, don't worry. Because as you'll soon find out, uh, I, I, I don't either. So, Peyton, what are we going to be talking about today? So last week we talked about the ladies. This week, we're going to talk about the other kind of division of wrestling. We're going to be talking about the cruiserweight division. Started out as a mix of influences of styles, mostly from Mexico and Japan, of high-flying, you know, lighter wrestlers um, that had a different kind of style. It started growing in popularity in ECW when they brought these styles over from Mexico and Japan. But it really took off when WCW snatched up a lot of talent like Rey Mysterio, Psychosis, Eddie Guerrero, Dean Malenko. Brought them over to WCW. Originally started out with their light heavyweight championship, which they eventually retitled as the cruiserweight championship. And started showcasing them. And it was something that, you know, brought a lot of eyes to WCW. Unfortunately, the problem was they didn't really, they were treated more like a sideshow, kind of like the women's wrestlers were. They were, you know, usually the opening match usually never went very long, not more than 10 minutes. Um, WWE tried to copy this with their light heavyweight championship. It never quite worked out for them until they were able to buy out WCW and showcase the cruiserweights on SmackDown. So we're going to be kind of diving into that, taking you along a little journey of these uh, of these little speedsters. And can I, uh, I'm going to make an analogy here for those of you who might be like, cruiserweights, how is that different from heavyweights? So we've been playing a lot of D&D recently. Oh, so, nerd. So, you know, your traditional wrestler... Definitely has high strength stat, right? Um, they're just just out there brawling and throwing things and being like that. They're they're punch boys. They're high strength. The cruiserweights are like if you bump your dexterity all the way up, um, all sorts of acrobatic bullshit and the like happening there. So like you know you could have like a paladin would be like Hulk Hogan maybe whereas more of a ranger would be an Eddie Guerrero. So that's for if you understand D&D but don't understand wrestling, which I feel is a very small number of you, but but that's what I'm here for. Or if you're like playing a Todd Howard game and you bump your agility uh, yeah. all the way up and your strength is down. Yeah, you may not be able to carry fucking anything, but right, you can. Right, you can run. You can run real D fast. 
Ray is definitely a Khajiit. Um, <laughs> uh, well, you did say Hulk Hogan was a paladin, so like Fallout, like he's like a paladin dance. Um, you know, I never really thought about paladins in Fallout and paladins in D and D is the same thing. But I'm gonna go ahead and say, uh, yeah, except for paladins in D and D are more of a. Um, I've seen it described as a youth pastor mixed with a cop. Um, whereas paladins and fallout are more just straight up cop. This is completely unrelated, but I just want to throw out a concept right now. All right. Paladin dances with wolves. Oh my God. Three big dudes stamped right on that. That's, um, that's going to be coming at you in 2025. Just wait and see. So let's get into our, uh, our match here. Um, the first match we've got on the list, we're going to WCW Bash at the Beach 1996. Psychosis versus Rey Mysterio at this time, Jr. Um, Rey is, is actually pretty new in WCW. He was in ECW for a while, just jumped over here. Rey and Psychosis actually had a pretty good rivalry in ECW, and they're kind of bringing that over here. I do like how... so. We've got our WCW announcers, and we've got Mike Tenay in there, who they keep talking about as the wrestling insider. And I really like how he's talking up how big of a feud this is in Mexico. But the other announcers are just talking about the main event, which, to be fair, Bash at the Beach 1996, the main event is probably, like, one of the biggest main events that's ever happened in wrestling history. So I kind of get it. Yeah, it's where they. It's do, where the NWO is formed. Is in this main event tonight. I do agree with you, though, that there's really only one announcer taking this match super seriously, um, because he catches some flack for like calling moves, and they're like, "What? What the hell even is that?" And it's like, guys. He's telling you what it is. Yeah, I really have I mean, never been a big fan of the WCW commentary team. Yeah, but that um that one guy who I don't know Mike his name Tenet. because Mike Tenay, uh, you know, he uh he's actually calling the moves and he's actually like really into the match and that he was doing a good job and no one else was. Uh, by the way, we, we we were talking about this before we started, but uh, I hope you like Rey Mysterio because you're gonna get a lot of him here in this episode. Fuck yeah, and if you end this episode and you don't like Rey Mysterio, you're wrong. Yeah, how can you not like the mysterious one? Uh, and, okay, so I do, I'm gonna, I've said this before, I'll say it again, uh, about just various wrestlers, but damn, does Psychosis look like a fucking Power Rangers villain. He does, which is like a thing that happens a lot with, uh, especially with Mexican and Japanese wrestlers. When, when they got all the crazy hair. I honestly, yeah. I almost wonder, because Rey Mysterio kind of looks like a Power Ranger, and Psychosis looks like a Power Rangers villain, I almost wonder if that was not on purpose. Oh my god. I kind of hope it was. That would be amazing. To have a Power Rangers match? <laughs> That's basically um, what we have here. It is. It really is. Because if, if you didn't watch Power Rangers when you were a kid, one, you missed out. Two, they were all about those kicks and flying and all that business. All that. Rey Mysterio is just a. He's just a Power Ranger. 
we start off with lots of mat wrestling and then pick up the pace with some back and forth. Both guys are reversing back and forth. Um, we go to the outside pretty quickly, and Psychosis gets a big dive over the top rope onto Rey Mysterio. Hits a diving leg drop for a two count. Um, these guys really play off of each other pretty well, I think. Yeah, I agree. Like, so, and this happens in a lot of sort of, or rather, okay, <clears throat> sorry. This is rare for Rey Mysterio, I think, as we're going to see later, because a lot of the time it's Rey Mysterio's doing all the work and the other wrestlers sort of reacting to him. Here, he kind of gets a challenger that is like him in a lot of ways. And so that is nice to see. Yeah, a lot of times with your cruiserweight matches, you have one big high flyer and you have another guy who's more of like a ground-based, mat-based guy. But here you get get two high flyers. Um, A really cool spot, uh, Mysterio dives off the apron and hits a Hurricane Rana on the floor. And then in the ring, he gets a springboard Hurricane Rana for a near fall. This is before Rey Mysterio is using the 619. He doesn't start using that until he's in WWE. So his main finisher move, finishing move, is a Hurricane Rana, which he kind of just is hitting from out of nowhere. Hurricane Rana being the move where he jumps on the guy's shoulders and, and flips him. I like how the—I feel like a Hurricane Rana is somewhat common now. Yeah. But— even here, they're like, what the fuck is that? And the guy's like, in Mexico, they call that a Hurricane Rana. Yeah, because they're even calling it, yeah, they're calling it their, the Americanized name, the Frankensteiner. Because Scott yeah. Steiner, of all fucking people, uh, quote-unquote in, invented the move. Uh, yeah, and he was talking about how much Ray looks up. He's like, he really looks up to Scott Steiner. And I'm like, oh, God. No one should ever look up to Scott Steiner. Rey Mysterio and Scott Steiner couldn't be more different other than they, believe it or not, use the same move. And I do have to say, if you guys don't know who Scott Steiner is, I don't think we've done any matches with him yet. But boy, I hope we do at some point. Um, he's in our intro. And if you just go go look up on YouTube, Scott Steiner math, and you'll immediately see uh, see what we're talking about. Oh, he's great. Um, we go to the outside, uh, Psychosis slams Rey Mysterio down on the guardrail, um, and then he comes, and then he hits a, a senton from the top rope onto Rey Mysterio on the floor. Uh, back in the ring, Rey Mysterio does this pretty cool cartwheel into a head scissors takedown. Um, Psychosis gets on the apron and Mysterio gets a springboard dropkick. The Mysterio goes all the way to the top rope and Hurricane and Rana's psychosis to the floor. It's like he keeps doing the same move over and over again, but it never really gets old because he's finding new ways to do it. Right. When you and that's one thing I feel like cruiserweights are defined in a lot of ways, specifically Rey Mysterio, by head scissors and by Hurricane Rana's. And it's just like finding new ways to Put someone into that, you know, and it's it's always really cool, like you were just saying. But you, briefly, for those uh, uh, for those who may might not have watched the matches or might not know in wrestling what head scissors or hurricane rana are, could you could you explain those moves? I mean, I just did. <laughs> I mean, I know, but like 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 really break them down, okay. my man. So the the attacking opponent jumps at the 
defending opponent, I guess you'd say, wraps their legs around the guy's head and then uses his body weight and his momentum to flip the other guy over. Uh, Oftentimes it's transitioned into a pin. Sometimes it's just used to launch the guy into some sort of object or parts of the environment. Fuck yeah, that's that's the detail I'm talking about. That's perfect. Another really cool move is when he springs to the top rope and Rey Mysterio hits a corkscrew plancha onto onto Psychosis. And it looks like he hits his leg on the guardrail coming down, but he kind of just shakes it off. Um, um, go ahead. Oh, just all of the... One thing I love about Cruiserweight that, you know, we see in this match and that we see later is all of the, like, using parts of yourself, specifically legs, powerful leg movements to throw your opponents. Anyone can throw someone with their hands, but to throw someone with their legs, that is truly special. Yeah, they're the hand, the arms of the lower body. <laughs> um, back in the ring, and uh, Mysterio attempts a springboard, but Psychosis catches him with a huge powerbomb, but only gets a two count. Um... We go into the corner, and Psychosis uh, gets on the top rope and attempts a crucifix powerbomb, but Mysterio reverses that in midair into a Hurricane Rana, pins him for the win. Really really cool match ender there, I thought. One thing that I do love about cruiserweights that we're going to talk about, uh, I'm sure, later, and that is reversals. So reversals are in all kinds of wrestling. Like, you know, someone tries to do a move on someone else, but the person they're doing it to somehow turns it around and makes it a move on the original dude. But in, you know, and that can be anything from, like, moving out of the way to make someone smash into something. Or, like, grabbing their hand as they're about to punch you and punching them instead. But with cruiserweights, it's always so much cooler because it usually involves someone fucking flipping into someone else, and I just think that's so cool. Yeah, it's it's awesome because it, like you you really do like it's it's much less than like oh someone just gets out of a move. Someone will take a move and turn it into another move. Right, and that kind of transitioning, especially when it starts to get a little faster, becomes just extremely fun. And, you know, I know that we say this almost every... We said this the last three weeks in a row, I think. Maybe two weeks in a row, I'm not sure. But, um, or two episodes in a row. But really, if you can, these are matches that are worth going to watch. A lot like the ladder matches episode, in that... We are not going to be able to describe exactly how hype some of this shit is unless, like, you see it with your eyeballs. Yeah. Because some of this is kind of impossible to describe. Or impossible to describe and it makes sense without seeing it. Right. Um, I've seen these two guys wrestle a lot, and I've seen some better matches out of the two of them, but from what I saw... It was a pretty good match. Uh, it, I wish it could have gone longer, and I think the commentary was pretty bad. It distracted from the match um, a little bit. Yeah, I I agree with that. It, and again, them always talking about what's coming up later in the show. You know, you talked about how cruiserweights have never really been given their time. Um, and I didn't really know what you meant 
until I watch this series of matches, and I'm I'm totally on your side about that now. Yeah, they're really not given the spotlight they deserve. Yeah, it was it was weird because they could show them off in WCW, and a lot of the guys who were cruiserweights in WCW ended up doing really great things, like Rey Mysterio, Eddie Guerrero, Chris Jericho. But they were treated as, and this was something they were actually called, vanilla midgets. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah. Kevin, wow. Kevin Nash pretty infamously said that guys like Eddie Guerrero and Chris Benoit couldn't do anything because they were too small. And yet he was wrong. Yeah, it, completely so. I, I really like this style of wrestling and i really think that whenever you are not just like big man <laughs> then you have to somehow compensate for you have to make your moves more interesting you know and that is what i think this is is an evolution of well i might not be able to like lift someone above my head and slam them over my knee but what can i do that is even cooler than that mhm that's a good point Let's, uh, I gave that last match a three and a half out of five. Uh, let's go to our next one, which is one of my favorite matches of all time, actually. I think I showed you this match one time, but uh, do you remember this one? Uh, I vaguely remembered it while I was watching okay, it. Okay, yeah, because yeah, you were but I will say, you were drunk when it, you watched this. That I, I mean, you could say that of any number of <laughs> pieces of media. Um but I do think that that last match was a lot more start and stop than what this one's going to end up being. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. This one is at Halloween Havoc 1997 for the Cruiserweight Championship uh, versus Rey Mysterio's mask. So Eddie Guerrero is coming in with the uh, the championship, whereas Rey Mysterio um, is uh, putting his mask on the line. Um, and you can tell that this is another WCW show because it looks like it was filmed at Wario Stadium. <laughs> is that partially because Rey Mysterio is purple? A little bit, but just the lighting and the eeriness reminds me so much of that Mario Kart level, and I cannot for the life well, of me It's supposed to be Halloween. Why. It's supposed to be spooky. <laughs> um, but all ECW shows <laughs> look spooky. Uh... Rey Mysterio has a pretty interesting outfit here. It's like a full bodysuit, which is actually comes into play in the uh, in the storytelling of this match. Um, although, you know, let's compare this match, and keep in mind the last time we saw these two guys wrestle in their Dominic's custody, custody ladder match. Oh, yes. I... Okay, I unironically love the Dominic's custody ladder match. And I, I just can't explain why, but I fucking love it. It's terrible I'm, I'm, from I'm a story with you perspective, there. but I fucking love it. These guys have a long rivalry, of course. They're going at it eight years after this. Um, this is probably one of their best matches together. Uh, Ray has like a little, another little mask with him. He gives it to a fan at ringside. Um, we start right off with some high-impact, fast-paced action. Really like the way this one starts. Yeah, no, it does um, start off, like, immediately out of the gate, fucking awesome. Like, so, a lot of yeah, these cruiserweight <laughs> matches start with mat work. And, I mean, that's a, I guess that's a fine way to start a match. But I always love when a match, like, starts high-tempo, stays high-tempo. 
Yeah. Uh, pretty quickly off the bat, um, Mysterious sends Eddie to the outside and handsprings over the top rope, but Eddie pulls, he lands on the apron, and Eddie pulls him off the apron and to the floor, slams him into the steel steps. Uh, back inside the ring, uh, Ray tries for another handspring, but this time Eddie catches him in midair and hits him with a back suplex. And I just think that Eddie and Ray will always put on a good match. When I when I see them wind up, and I just always get excited for it. Um, but here, I think Eddie is such a good... He's so good at being a heel, man. Yeah. He's so good at it. He knows exactly how to play that, and he gets the crowd all riled up. Yeah, there was a period of time when I was a kid watching wrestling where these guys would always wrestle on SmackDown, just like a random match, just for the hell of it on SmackDown, and it would be awesome. It would steal the show every time. Um, I like how he starts ripping at Rey Mysterio's mask, because he's in that bodysuit, so he's trying to rip it off. I do have a question, is what would happen if he just ripped his mask off? Would the match end? Would yeah. it be for nothing? You know, and that's one thing in all these Rey Mysterio matches, is their opponent's always like, I'm gonna take that mask! And like, what if what if one time they just were like, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm not gonna fuck with your mask at all. I'm gonna just fine. I'm just gonna leave it there. Yeah, and then of course it was fucking Kevin Nash who ended up making him take the mask off. Disgusting. Um, Kevin Nash, the one that you were just saying uh, was being an asshole to all the cruiserweight guys. Exactly. I I really like, and they did. They I remember they would do this a lot on SmackDown too, where they do this thing where. One guy tries to pin him, so Eddie's trying to pin Ray down, like with his hands, and Ray Mysterio bridges up, and he's able to leap all the way up to the top rope while he's still got Eddie's hands, and then hit a backflip into a DDT. Awesome move. Yeah. Fucking awesome. And so, a lot of the time in wrestling, when someone says, from the top rope, what they mean is from the top turnbuckle in the corner. Here, when we say he hits a backflip DDT from the top rope, we mean literally this man jumped onto the rope, just the middle part of the rope, and backflipped off of it because his dex is at just a thousand. <laughs> yeah, I you know when you I, I've seen a lot of that where they just jump right to the top rope, but I mean if you're thinking about it and you're explaining it, it does take you know you kind of have to like. Talk about that a little bit more because it's not like he's just jumping up to the corner. He's jumping to like he's just tightrope walking, except for he's jumping onto the tightrope. Right, and it's just so fucking crazy to me. And then backflipping um, off of it and catching a guy's head and slamming it into the mat. Right, because isn't it is Undertaker that has the uh, the last ride? Um. I might be thinking of the wrong move. That might not be the move I'm thinking of. Where he walks along the top rope holding the hand of the other person. Yeah. And that's like a very, I mean, that's a cool move. And Taker's a big dude, so it is kind of impressive. But that's like, he starts at the turnbuckle. He climbs up carefully. And then he like walks along like a trapeze artist. Here, (laughs) Eddie is literally jumping from the ground to a rope and backflipping off of it. Yeah. Rey Mysterio is. Yes, I apologize. Ray Mysterio is. Yeah. Apologize directly to Ray Mysterio. This one's for you, Ray. No one else listens to this part of the podcast. Hey, bud. Glad you're here. I- I'm sorry I got you and Eddie Guerrero mixed up. It was just a slip of the tongue. I'm stupid. 
<laughs> so I hope you can accept my apology, and we can move forward as friends. That was... Thanks. That was so much. That was much more than I thought you were going to do. Well, you asked me to apologize directly to Ray, and I did it. Um, After a while, Eddie starts getting him grounded, and uh, he puts him in a cobra clutch. He's, like, ripping a hole in Rey Mysterio's mask. He keeps going back to these submission moves to try to keep him grounded. Eventually, Eddie sends him into the turnbuckle, and Rey, like, flips up the turnbuckle and is, like, turned upside down uh, in the corner. Eddie goes for a sliding drop kick, but Rey Mysterio is able to sit all the way up, and Eddie slides crotch first into the steel post. Which was so fucking cool. So fucking There's cool. no way that that doesn't hurt, unless he's wearing a cup. Uh, I, yeah, and even still, it's gotta hurt at least, at least somewhat. Um, because you're still taking that full impact, you know. Uh, that force has gotta go somewhere. But, and that's one thing about cruiserweights too that i think is really interesting and that is um that a lot of these moves have to hurt for real oh yeah because in a regular match you know when when a and i hate to to pull the curtain back for some of you guys that might not know this but when a wrestler goes to punch another wrestler he's not really punching him he's pulling his punch and he's stomping the floor to make that really loud boom sound that you hear uh which is a staple of all wrestling, I think, uh, and it's a it's a fun thing to do, right? But it's he's not really ta- absorbing that punch because there's a way around it. Sometimes, even with chair shots, you know they'll they'll block it in a certain way to where it doesn't really hurt. But a lot of these moves, I think, there's not a whole lot you can do to make a man flying at you hurt less. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong about that. Maybe they got something up their sleeve, but they don't wear sleeves. Exactly. Well, I guess Rey Mysterio is wearing sleeves in this match. He's got to be kind of hot. Yeah, that is very true. You got to think of stadium lights on you. You're all up in that spandex. You're running around. Oof. Yeah. Hmm. I guess you got to do whatever you got to do to protect your mask. To protect your ugly face, apparently. <laughs> apparently, he just must be super ugly. Actually, Rey Mysterio just looks kind of like a child. Yeah, no, he does look very young. Um, speaking of crashing down on another guy, um, Eddie's on the outside and Rey Mysterio jumps out on him. In the ring, he gets another Hurricane Rana for a near fall. Uh, we get some shades of the 619 when Eddie throws Mysterio into the ropes and he swings around kind of like he's doing a 619, but with nobody there. Um, I... Wrote that shit down in my notes, and I have no idea how to describe what he does there. Basically, it, he's about to go out of the ring, and he 619s himself back in the ring. Yeah, yeah. But it was just, it was super cool. Um, He sends Eddie to the outside with a head scissors. He then somersaults clean over the top rope and hits a hurricane run on the floor. So basically, he flips he jumps over the top rope, flips all the way over, and lands with his legs on Eddie's head, and then flips him over. Guy's gotta be so fucking dizzy. Yeah. I don't know, I mean, I honestly just have no idea how you are that coordinated. You know, I... I mean, I just don't understand how Rey Mysterio does this. Well, and also, I feel like, uh, you know, it doesn't, you don't think about it as much, but a lot of it has to go to, like, 
your receiving opponent, like, too, for being able yeah. to be in the right spot at the right time. Uh, and especially with moves that cause you to flip, a lot of that is the other guy doing a lot of the work there. So Agreed. And so much of wrestling seems to be, like, the ability to almost see yourself in third person, to see how, like, to be able to visualize how you're putting these moves together, you know? Um, and and that's just crazy. Something a lot, of, a lot of people may not know is most wrestlers, there are some that like to plan out their match the whole way through, but most wrestlers, it's they plan the big spots and everything else is just done on the fly. Which is so crazy to me, because how do you know what they're trying to set up? How do you know? Well, they talk to each other in the ring. They're really good. Sometimes you can catch them, but uh, they're really good about, like, being able to hide that. So, like, there are some, you can look it up and find sometimes where you'll catch a guy saying, okay, I'm going to throw you off the ropes and then and kick you when you come back. But, like, <laughs> they're doing that. It's so that. casual. It's so, like, like um, walking up to someone's cubicle and being like, "Hey, uh, have you uh, have you finished your your quarterly reports? You know, like office space style." <laughs> but hey, I'm gonna um, I'm gonna send you up uh, onto the ro- into the ropes, and then when you come back down, I'm gonna kick you. Yeah, basically, it's very it's it's very polite, <laughs> or at least I would hope so. Um, Back in the ring, and Masuro hits comes off the top rope with a corkscrew moonsault. He then attempts a split-legged moonsault where he, like, hits the ropes with his legs and bounces back off. But Eddie gets his knees up. He hits a huge powerbomb that folds Rey Mysterio up like an accordion, but only gets two. And now the crowd is chanting, Eddie sucks. Yeah, because, man, he is, um... I mean, he is getting over with the crowd. Uh, not in the traditional way, but, you know, in the way that a heel wants to be. Yeah, Eddie can be a heel when he's just being a mean guy, or he can be a heel when he's trying to steal your family. <laughs> Some would say that that is also being a mean guy. Yeah, I think it kind of goes beyond being a meanie. That's true. It is sort of more than just a... I'm a I'm a big bad boy, and it's more of a I'm going to take your children and punch them. Um, Eddie charges at Ray in the corner, but Ray uh, throws him up onto the top rope. Follows up with a spin kick. Ray Mysterio goes for a springboard hurricane rana, but gets caught with a backbreaker. Eddie goes to the top rope, attempts a frog splash, but Mysterio rolls out of the way. Ray charges him in the corner, but Eddie tosses him right to the top rope. Eddie follows him up and attempts a crucifix powerbomb, but Mysterio reverses it into a Hurricane Rana for the win. The only problem with that is it was the exact same ending as the last match. Yeah, yeah, that is true. Which I can't really... I feel like a lot of cruiserweight stuff kind of ends in a similar fashion. Which is weird because I never thought that that match ending was that common, or that spot was that common, although we see it three times in this show. Uh, yeah, I'm not really a count off for. I think it was just luck of the draw. I happened to pick three matches that had that same spot, all with Rey Mysterio. Yeah, I think it's just a cool way to end a match, um, and so it does get a little overused. Um, 
I thought this was awesome. Two incredible yeah, wrestlers. Lo- this is my favorite match of this this show. If you're going to watch one match from this show, make it this one. Yeah, this is probably the best match these two have had, and maybe the best match in WCW history. Uh, yeah, no, it's it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. I give it a and, um, a four and a half out of five stars. Yeah, I would agree with that wholeheartedly. Um, again, this is pretty much how cruiserweights are treated throughout all of WCW. Eventually, when WWF buys out WCW, they take all their titles with them. They keep some of them. They get rid of some of them. They decide to keep the cruiserweight championship and get rid of their light heavyweight championship. WWE's light heavyweight championship really didn't do much for anybody. It really wasn't. They had, like, Gilberg be the light heavyweight champion for, like, a year. Gilberg is a parody of Goldberg. Huh. So, they go a better way with the cruiserweight championship. Um, Eventually, it becomes, like, the SmackDown exclusive title, but here we're seeing it defended on Raw. This is still pretty early, right after WWF buys WCW. In fact... The title is still called the WCW Cruiserweight Championship. So we can definitely, like, this is a feather in the cap of WCW, um, right, is bringing this style of wrestling in. Absolutely. You can't say a whole lot for them. I mean, you know, just go listen to our, uh, uh, was that Spring Stampede? Yes. Episode? And uh, you can hear all about the differences between the two companies. But uh, this is definitely something they did well. They did right. Oh, for sure. Um, and I, th- I think um, at first WWE wasn't quite sure how to use the cruiserweights. They kind of treat them just the same as a sideshow, uh, which I think this match proves to be a good example of it. We got Tajiri, uh, from, who's coming over from ECW, uh, teaming with Tori Wilson versus Billy Kidman, who's coming over from WCW. We actually watched a Billy Kidman match at Spring Stampede against Rey Mysterio. Billy Kidman and Tajiri, both great wrestlers. I feel like they just don't really get to do too much in this match. Right. I, I would agree with that completely. Uh, interesting tidbit. Paul Heyman mentions that Kidman and Tori know each other pretty well. Um, they actually get married eventually. Uh, I don't know if they were married at this point. I just thought it was kind of cool that he kind of gave us a peek behind the curtain huh that is that is interesting um tajiri hits an enziguri and and kidman goes to the outside tajiri rolls kidman back into the ring comes off the top rope for a moonsault uh, but kidman gets out of the way uh just like in wcw the announcers are pretty much ignoring this match talking about the main event talking about really anything else they can talk about other than the match that's happening right in front of them yeah, like, hey guys, just just fucking call it, okay? We have so many goddamn promo packages and other shit in a pay-per-view that tells us what's gonna come up later that we don't need you talking about it during another match. Um, Kidman whips Tajiri into the corner and charges, but Tajiri gets a big kick, follows it up with a couple more kicks for a near fall. He goes for a handspring back elbow, again gets a two count. Kidman charges at Tajiri in the corner, and Tajiri locks him in the tarantula. Always a fun move where he, like, wraps the guy up in the ropes. Yeah, I think that that is honestly the highlight of this match is the tarantula because, like, it was just—I mean, it's cool. It's always cool to see someone do 
a pin, or not a pin, but a hold either on a ladder, on the turnbuckle, in the ropes. Just something different, something cool like that. That seems to take a lot of sort of um, core strength to keep up, I would imagine. Yeah, that was one of Tajiri's, like, Tajiri always had, like, a bunch of weird signature moves like this and the poison mist, the green mist he'd spit at people's faces. Um, I, I, that sounds dope. I wish I could have seen that. Yeah, we don't really get much in this match. It's pretty short. Kidman uh, misses a kick, hits a sit-out spine buster for a two-count. Tajiri eventually gets a buzzsaw kick out of nowhere, covers for the three. Uh, it was good, nothing much, nothing really bad about it, but it was just so short, and so there's not a whole lot to say about it, so I gave it one and a half out of five stars. Yeah, just a really short match. I mean, with some cool stuff, like you were saying, like, um... Good wrestlers, but really just not given the time of day. And honestly, I prefer this style of wrestling to a lot of traditional wrestling, and I wish that we could get, like, bigger, cooler matches with it. Yeah. Um, Eventually, the title becomes exclusive to SmackDown. Raw has the Women's Championship. SmackDown has the Cruiserweight Championship. So they kind of advertise that. And I think once it moves to SmackDown, they do a better job of promoting it. They get some better matches. Um, And in fact... A lot of the times they have matches on SmackDown that rival pay-per-view matches. SmackDown always, especially during the brand split, seemed to be the better wrestling show, whereas Raw was more about the storyline. SmackDown typically focused on pretty good wrestling. Yeah, and they, I I could tell later on in some of the other matches where they're talking about how SmackDown is really sort of the home of cruiserweights and becomes sort of known for doing that specifically. Yeah, we go to King of the Ring 2002, Cruiserweight Championship between Jamie Noble versus the Hurricane. Jamie Noble is coming out with Nidia, and uh, do you remember remember Jamie Noble and Nidia? Um, um, oh boy, I feel like it would have been hard for me to forget, but I'm afraid I have. Where have we seen them before? Because I hate them. Get it! Get it! Stick your tongue oh, in her! Oh my god, yep. Yep, 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 yep. This is uh, yep. Mr. Cuck himself. I actually love Jamie Noble. I think he's a great wrestler. He just gets, like, this trailer trash gimmick that he could never get rid of. <laughs> uh, and he has the, the shitty haircut to boot. He even leaves the company. <laughs> he like leaves the trash. company for, like, two years, too, and still comes back with the fucking trailer trash gimmick. Yeah, it it is a very shitty gimmick. But uh, what Peyton was referencing, by the way, uh, was the makeout competition in... I'm not sure what show that was. It was SummerSlam 2002. That was our second episode. Okay, yeah. So if you go listen to that, you can hear all about Jamie Noble being cucked. Um, <laughs> and it's funny. He's from West Virginia, which is like... I feel like is not really that like... Is that really trailer trashy oh, area? yeah, man. That is prime. Okay. That is prime trailer trash country right there. All right. I mean, we're from Mississippi, so it's hard for us to have a frame of reference. But yes, West Virginia is known for being very rural, very poor. Oh, um, see, I was thinking West Virginia was too far north. Yeah, and so that is just the that's the (laughs) the skewed version of us living in the deep south. But it's actually very uh, very southern state. Um, Jamie Noble and Hurricane are both from. Uh, WCW, although Hurricane at that time was wrestling as Shane Helms 
and he was part now, of a boy band gimmick. I know, I know that I said it before, and I'm gonna go ahead and tell you guys. I'll probably say it again, but this will be the last time this episode. Boy, does the hurricane look like a Power Rangers villain! <laughs> no, he's supposed to be a superhero. I know, and I could tell that that actually like. I feel like he really came up with that gimmick himself. Yes. Because the man has a Green Lantern tattoo. Uh, he does. He was, like, the man himself, Gregory Helms, was, like, super into comic books and stuff. So this was his character. He owned it. He loved it. I was a huge fan of the Hurricane. I love the Hurricane. He looks goofy as hell. He but does. It is and fun. that is the point. It is fun. My favorite thing is when we get a little bit of a glimpse of this during the pre-match promo where he, like... Used to do this, and he he quit doing it after a while. Where he would also be Gregory Helms, like his alter ego, and he would pretend to be like a reporter, like he was Clark Kent. <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, but basically, the the match, the background here is that Nydia used to be Gregory Helms's girlfriend, and then he became the Hurricane, and she got with Jamie Noble. And he attacked Hurricane, and they humiliate him. They take off his mask and his cape. He eventually gets the cape back, or he gets the mask back, and um, and now now they're gonna fight. Weirdly, I, see, I feel like <laughs> I feel like the Hurricane embodies the problem with real life superheroes. They can be defeated by just one redneck. <laughs> all it takes is one redneck. That's all. All it takes. He's been unmasked, so why you can't put the mask back on? Uh, apparently, you can't. You can't put the genie back in the bottle. Yeah, I mean, hey, but it, the end of Spider-Man Two, the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man Two, just so just so everyone's familiar with the one I'm talking about, uh, his mask gets taken off on that subway, and he puts it back on. Yeah, but they don't know who he is. He wasn't unmasked on TV. Yeah, because that whole subway full of people was like, don't worry, Spider-Man, we won't tell your secret. So I guess you are right there. And that would never happen in real life. They would totally tell his secret. Yeah, that would have been all on Twitter. Um, I, The weird thing is that JR and King, even though I like them, they're still calling this match even though it's a SmackDown match. I don't know why. This was early in the brand split, so I guess they didn't really have things figured out yet. Which is weird to me that Taz and Michael Cole introduced the match but aren't gonna call it yeah that was very strange i i was also confused on why they throw it over to jr and king um we get some good back and forth to start hurricane attempts a choke slam i always thought it was funny that hurricane's finisher was the choke slam because i always think of the choke slam as like the the cliche big man move yeah, it is very much a cliche big man move. I I agree with you. There's a funny moment in the 2002 Royal Rumble where it's just Steve Austin and Triple H wrestling, and then Hurricane comes out and he tries to choke slam them both, and they look at him like he's a crazy person. What a disservice to Hurricane. Yeah, Hurricane. But yeah, no, that is actually pretty. Hurricane funny. gets I, like, I like is that. back and forth between like he gets a push and then he gets treated like a jobber. Right. The Hurricane has a pinfall victory over The Rock. I'm sorry, what? It was during the rivalry between Steve Austin and The Rock right before WrestleMania 19, and Steve Austin, did, so The Rock was wrestling The Hurricane, 
the night before the week before WrestleMania, and Steve Austin distracted The Rock, and the Hurricane rolled him up. And so, yes, the Hurricane has a pinfall victory over The Rock. That is fucking insane. Hey, man, anything can happen in wrestling. Uh, Kevin Federline has a pinfall victory over John Cena, so... Okay, well, that one makes sense. Again, one redneck can defeat a superhero. <laughs> um, we get, you know, still, we're not really treating women right here, because the crowd starts chanting, she's a crack whore at Nydia. Yeah, no, Nydia gets treated very poorly here, and is part of the reason why I really dislike this match, because camera a lot of the time keeps fucking focusing on Nydia and the commentary team keeps focusing on Nydia and not on what's going this on This match is just all about ring. Nydia really It really is It's it's just a it's You're watching Nydia while wrestling also happens You're watching Nydia watch a wrestling match <laughs> Nydia reacts <laughs> Yeah it's like a let's play from Nydia <laughs> Um it's it's like and so if you're listening to this podcast, you're listening to us watch Nidia watch a wrestling match. <laughs> it goes even deeper. Nidia distracts Hurricane. He goes outside and chases her, but Noble catches him with a clothesline on the outside. Hurricane or Hurricane Rana. What if that was his name? Hurricane. <laughs> I would love a wrestler named Hurricane Rana, but he never actually does Hurricane Rana's. That's the trick. Other than the last match of his career, before he's about to go out, he tries to do a Hurricane Rana, and it gets reversed on him, and then he loses. Perfect wrestling storyline. Hire me. <laughs> yeah, man. Move over, Freddie Prince Jr. This is your new WWE rider. <laughs> does Freddie Prince Jr. actually write for the WWE? He used to. Oh my god! I, I should have made a more like a more like modern reference. I should have said. Uh, no, we we go to Billy. Corgan I should have said much. Billy Corgan instead of Freddie. We Prince. go to Billy Corgan way too much. I like that you went to Freddie Prince Jr. because that was a piece of knowledge I did not have. Fair enough. Um, Hurricane leaps to Jamie Noble's shoulders, but Noble spins him out for a spinebuster and gets a near fall. Um. Hurricane gets a pretty nice rolling neckbreaker from the second rope. Um, he attempts the eye of the hurricane, his finisher, but Noble ducks and hits a bridging German suplex. Hurricane then is able to hit the eye of the hurricane, but only gets two. Hurricane grabs his cape from the corner, but Nydia snatches it from him. Noble charges at him, but Hurricane catches him and suplexes him out of the ring, and it looks like Noble like tweaks his leg on the way down. That was a pretty sick move. Yeah, that was actually pretty pretty fucking cool. And it's one of the things that stands out in this match because I feel like this match does lack a certain amount of the cruiserweight pizzazz that I've come to know and love. Yeah. But that's probably just because Rey Mysterio's not in it. Probably. I think Rey Mysterio may have spoiled you. I think he did. And I will invite him to continue to do so. Um, Hurricane Wink. dives onto Noble on the, on the floor. Hurricane puts Noble back in the ring, but Nydia comes up and kisses him. Noble uses the distraction to hit a baseball slide. He puts Hurricane on the apron and climbs to the top rope with him. Hurricane fights back and hits a huge swinging neckbreaker from the top rope. I thought that was pretty cool, too. Hurricane's actually pretty impressing me in this match. 
Yeah, I mean, he's doing some uh, he's doing some pretty good stuff. I'll say that he's when he, I first saw him, I was like, oh, this clown. But he he won me over a little bit. Yeah, I'd say I'd say he's a he's at least a cat three in this one. <laughs> um, Hurricane covers, but Nydia distracts the referee. Hurricane walks over to Nydia who tries to slap him, but Hurricane grabs her by the hand. Noble charges, Hurricane gets out of the way, and Jamie Noble collides with Nydia. Most action he's going to get. Hurricane hits Noble with a choke slam, but Noble kicks out. Hurricane goes to the top rope. Noble hits the ropes, crotching him. Jamie Noble then hits a big powerbomb. Jamie Noble covers. Hurricane gets his foot on the rope, but Nydia pushes his foot off, and Noble gets that three count. I fucking hate this ending. I can't stand it. I don't know. I... It's a good it's a good ending and listen, if you hate this ending, see you're watching a lot of big matches with me. If you're watching like day-to-day SmackDown stuff, this shit happens all the time cuz you want your heel to be a heel, but you don't want to make your your face look that bad. Yeah, and I, I totally get that. I just want, like, I wish the heel here, I wish that Jamie Noble would have come off looking better. I think that the best wrestling in this match was done by Hurricane, and usually if I'm watching a match and I see the person doing the better wrestling, I want them to win. Well, that's And I know the that's point. not how it always works, but... You see, w, you f- played right into WWE's hand. That's exactly what they want. They want you to want Hurricane to win, and they want you to be mad when he doesn't. Congratulations, Vince Wrestling. Vince, you did it. You got me, Vince. You done got got. Got 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 by Vince. I, I, you know, I thought this match was okay. It had a nice story. It's just the audience chants, the announcers focusing on Nydia, the cameras focusing on Nydia took away from it. Yeah, it absolutely did. I, I agree. So I only gave it two and a half out of five stars. Yeah, uh, I would say that is an accurate rating. Let's go to WrestleMania 19. Again, the Cruiserweight Championship is on the line. Rey Mysterio is facing Matt Hardy, who's accompanied by Shannon Moore. Matt Hardy is the Cruiserweight Champion. I always forgot that Matt Hardy had a run with the Cruiserweight title because I don't really think of Matt Hardy as a Cruiserweight. Really? I I mean, I, I don't know enough to know, but I just sort of thought that he was considered one because of some of the latter work that yeah, he's Yeah, I, mean, I guess he does do a lot of high-flying moves and stuff. Just Matt Hardy's a, a bigger guy. They even talk about how Shannon Moore had to help Matt Hardy train to get down to the weight limit. Uh, yeah, yeah, that is true. They're never really clear about what the weight limit is. Um, it, it's almost like... Maybe there is. It was two twenty five. Then it was two twenty. Nowadays it's two oh five. So wow. Yeah. Get this. Rey Mysterio is like one of the smallest guys ever. He weighed one hundred and sixty five. That's what he was billed as, which I feel like is pretty damn small. That is really fucking tiny. I weigh ten pounds more than Rey Mysterio. You could be a cruiserweight. I could. I should. Cruiserweight, I barely know her weight. Zach, be a cruiserweight. Um, I'm sorry, what was that that you just said? I said cruiserweight, I barely know her weight. Hey, look. that's We leave that shit in feud fight. That's what Zach would <laughs> we say. We don't bring that here. 
uh, the spirit of Zach D is always with us, and uh, sometimes we'll possess you to make jokes like that. The cool thing about Rey Mysterio is he always has a different outfit, um, and he rarely, I, I maybe never wears the same thing twice. But he did. He started this little like trend where he at WrestleMania every year he dresses a different superhero, and here he comes out dressed as Daredevil, which is pretty cool. Yeah, no, I love this uh, this outfit. I mean, even it's though this is 2003, cool. which means he's dressing as Ben Affleck Daredevil, but... Right, which, I mean, kind of sucks, but maybe we can say he's dressed as comic book Daredevil. You know, maybe we can believe but that. But he's, he's done some other pretty cool ones. He's he's done uh, Flash. He did uh, He did the Joker one year. That's very cool. And I feel like there is a big crossover between, and Peyton, you're one of these people, comic book fans and wrestling fans. That's why they have a comic book about wrestling. Oh, yeah. Exactly why they have a comic book about wrestling. But I think that that, those gimmicks and those costumes are really fun for that sort of cross-audience there. Yeah. And also because it does imply that Rey Mysterio is an actual real-life nerd, and I really hope that he is. He is. At least I think so. I mean, who else would just do that? Excellent point. Um, uh, Matt Hardy is in his weird— So Matt Hardy, after him and Jeff split apart, uh, they got traded to opposite shows, and eventually Jeff left the company because of drugs— and Matt was on his own, so he had to kind of come up with this new gimmick, which was Matt Hardy version one, which I really can't describe. It was just he would call himself version one. He'd throw up this V1 hand signal, and that during his entrance music, it would look like he was an internet video. I fucking love Matt Hardy version one. I love his shitty little <laughs> internet video because... He looks like an internet video, but not as you and I know them today. No, he looks like an early 2000s internet video, which is like three frames per second and looks super bad. And I fucking, I love it. It's hilarious. Yeah. And they would always have Matt Facts on the side. (laughs) Today, this Matt Fact was, was, this is Matt's fourth WrestleMania. And it was like, Matt doesn't know how they did WrestleMania without him. This is how I remember Matt Hardy because when I started watching wrestling, this was it was this was the the Matt Hardy that was out there. Right, right. Um, and so Matt Hardy has radically sort of changed recently. Oh, for sure, or somewhat recently. I guess he's Matt Hardy version two now. Well, now he's broken Matt Hardy. Oh yeah. So that is, and then I guess that is his version two, version zero. And, uh, <laughs> um. He comes out with Shannon Moore, who uh, Shannon Moore is like a, is like a family friend. Actually, they got into the wrestling business around the same time. Uh, basically, there's like this like troop of like North Carolina wrestlers that like hung out together and came into the business together. It's Matt and Jeff Hardy, Shannon Moore, and Gregory Helms. So Shannon Moore is coming out with him as his Mattitude follower or his MFer. Get it? I hate it. <laughs> Suddenly, I hate Matt Hardy version one. Yeah, no, the thing about Matt Hardy version one is that I feel like he does not have a whole lot of personality. I mean, I don't know. Maybe I just need to see more it of him. It took Matt Hardy a long time to really— because Matt Hardy was always—I mean, both Hardy. Jeff, even more so. The Hardys were never known for their character work. 
Um, so it right. took a long right. time before we got broken Matt Hardy. Um, because that is very much a, like, I mean, w- what year would you put that at? 2015? Uh, 2015, 2016, something like that. And, yeah. of course, this so is 2003. For most of his career, Matt Hardy's just a dude. Yeah. And then he's, like, a dude. New. New dude. Yeah. New dude. And his new dude gimmick is quite good. Quite good. I, I do fucking love that. Um, Shannon Moore immediately goes after Rey Mysterio, but Rey chases him off. Uh, Matt Hardy charges at Rey Mysterio, who backdrops him over the top rope, and the Mysterio follows up with a corkscrew plancha onto both guys, starting off real hot here. Uh, this is the opening match of WrestleMania 19, so it's a great way to open it. And I actually believe this is the first time the Cruiserweight title has ever been defended at WrestleMania. Yeah, um, I, I didn't know that about the Cruiserweight title at WrestleMania, but as far as this match just starting off so fast and so... Fucking, it's just fucking fun to watch Rey Mysterio. He's, if you know nothing about wrestling, if you think that wrestling is boring or whatever. Don't worry, you don't either. Yeah, don't worry, I don't either. Uh, But uh, just go watch Rey Mysterio and he'll change your mind. Mm -hmm. Um, Rey sends Matt to the apron, tries for a sunset flip powerbomb, but Shannon Moore kicks him in the gut. I guess the referee just missed it. Matt slams him into the guardrail. Uh, in the ring, Matt attempts a twist of fate, but Ray reverses it into a roll-up. Um, Matt charges Ray in the corner. Ray kind of just grabs the ropes, leaps right over him, but Matt catches him and hits a side effect for a two-count. I just put this quote here just to kind of give you the idea of the times. Michael Cole says, Limp Biscuit still to come. <laughs> because Limp Biscuit is performing on the show. This is the show where Limp Biscuit is introduced as the WWE's favorite band. <laughs> and they perform you know, like- and they perform Undertaker's entrance music even though he had already changed his entrance music to something else at this point. Oh my god. I feel like you could definitely like play a drinking game with this podcast and anytime we mention Limp Biscuit, you have to take a shot. Yeah. And we're never going to not mention, if Limp Biscuit happens, we're never going to leave that detail out. Side note, never. in, I don't remember what game it was, I think it might have been WrestleMania 19, which was this show, uh, WrestleMania 19, the video game, Fred Durst was an unlockable character. Oh my god, that's amazing. So yeah. Has Fred Durst ever actually stepped in the ring? No. Damn it. Uh, a shame. But that is fucking crazy. But Kevin Federline has, and isn't that just the same thing? Essentially, yes. <laughs> um, Matt Hardy charges at Rey Mysterio in the corner. Rey gets out of the way, and Matt goes shoulder first into the turnbuckle. Mysterio hits a seated senton, a springboard crossbody, a tilt-a-whirl head scissors, a tornado DDT, all that, but only gets a two count. Of course, now Rey's in the WWE, so he's doing the 619. He has him set up, but... Shannon Moore grabs him by the leg. Uh, Matt says six one nine. We've talked about before, but could you uh, could you give a breakdown of what that move is? I know I, in the past episode you've done it, but so just, just again, usually through some sort of setup transitional move, drop to hold, drop kick, the opponent gets their head put onto the the second rope, so their head is draped on the middle rope. 
Rey Mysterio will then charge at them and use the top and middle rope to swing his body around and kick the guy in the face. And then he usually will follow that up with a springboard Hurricane Rana or leg drop or something like that. Yeah, it's just, it's such a good move. It's my favorite wrestling move. Um, I think it's the coolest one. Do you know where the name 619 comes from? I do because you've told me before. It's the area code from the place that Rey Mysterio is from. San Diego. Yes. Not area code, the phone code. Is that area area code? code. Sorry, I was thinking zip code, not a zip code, definitely an area code. And they make a really funny, Taz keeps trying to make this joke over and over again. Oh my god, I fucking hate that joke. He winds him, dines him, 619s him. Yeah, like, Taz keeps saying that shit like a guy, like, have you ever had a friend who really wants, like, a joke or a catchphrase to catch on, and they just keep saying it? That's that's what Taz does. <laughs> Matt hits a twist of fate and covers, but Rey Mysterio kicks out. And then Matt attempts a crucifix powerbomb in the corner, but Rey Mysterio counters into a Hurricane Rana. And I wrote, Jesus, people need to stop trying this. Because <laughs> that happens every <laughs> time. None of these wrestlers even do that move normally. <laughs> uh... Rey Mysterio's arguing with Shannon Moore on the apron, so Matt charges at him, but Mysterio gets out of the way, and Matt and Shannon Moore collide. Mysterio then is able to hit the 619 and tries to follow up with a West Coast pop, Hurricane Rana, but Matt ducks underneath. Matt launches Rey over his head, but Mysterio springs off the rope, so he literally, like, throws him, and he lands on the ropes and springboards off of them and lands on Matt's shoulders. So fucking cool. He uh, he rolls him up, but uh, but Matt reverses that into a pin of his own and grabs hold of the ropes to win. This is another ending I did not care. Yeah, for. this ending was was not that great. Um, I mean, again, it just it keeps your face not looking so bad, but it keeps the title on the heel. Uh, but at I WrestleMania, really hate, like at WrestleMania, I don't wins. know if this was the best decision. Yeah, yeah. I just hate quick wins like that, but when they come out of nowhere, and I understand that's to keep me guessing, but I don't know. Um, I think a win I, out I of nowhere can it. be good, It like with Ray Mysterio reversing a move at the last second. Right, right. You just don't like it when it's not Ray Mysterio winning. I mean, that too, of course, but it just feels like... I hate when it feels too fast. The ending doesn't feel like it had enough building to it, you know? Um, I thought this was a really fun match. Lots of back and forth. Hard to keep up with everything. Really shows that Matt Hardy can can really go with guys like Rey Mysterio. Um, I gave it a three and a half out of five. Yeah, it was a good one, I, I thought. Let's go to No Way Out 2004 the cr- for the Cruiserweight Championship. Chavo Guerrero, which would be Eddie Guerrero's nephew. Um... Coming out with his dad, Chavo Classic, versus Rey Mysterio, the champion, who's coming out with Jorge Paez, the boxer, because they had to do a celebrity thing here, I guess. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna know more than you for once on this fucking show. This is my time to shine. You know who Peyton Jorge here? Paez is? No, I was going to explain the pre-match promo oh. about the story. Okay, go for it, because I missed this one. Yes, Peyton somehow missed this, meaning that now you have to make 
now I have to explain it to you, which means it's going to be shitty, but basically. Oh, don't say that about yourself. Ray is really mad because Chavo Guerrero is Eddie Guerrero's uncle, I think? Chavo is Eddie's nephew. So Eddie is Chavo's okay, yeah. uncle. So anyways. Oh, you're like, right. This is pretty them. shitty. Uh, Eddie, Eddie beat up Chavo. And then Chavo wanted revenge because he's like, we're family. You can't beat me up. We're family. You beat me up in the ring. But then he goes and he beats Eddie up in a bathroom and jumps him. And then Ray is there and Ray sees him. Right while he was just trying to take a poo. Yeah, he was just trying to take a shit. (laughs) uh, But like Chavo's like, nah, man, it had nothing to do with me. And Ray attacks him. They're also in the bathroom. And then this match is when they get to finally face off and settle their beef yeah. in the ring. Tonight, it's a bathroom brawl. Um, the announcers mention here that Chavo has vowed to take off Mysterio's mask. Come on, get a new thing. Your <laughs> uncle already did that one. Yeah, no. And I feel like that's, like I said, most of the, like, most of the... Mysterio matches is they're like, I'm going to take your mask off. You know, and then they don't, other than the one time someone did. Rey Mysterio had a really great rivalry with Eddie Guerrero. I think it's probably the best rivalry in Rey Mysterio's career. Maybe second would be his rivalry with Chavo. They actually have a pretty good rivalry, um, and those two complement each other well. They're not two high flyers, but Chavo's more of a ground, mat based guy, but they, I think the two styles really complement each other pretty well. Chavo is definitely a Wario to Eddie. I'm not to Eddie. I'm sorry. To Rey Mysterio's sort of Luigi. Wario and Luigi? Right. Because, okay, if you want to get technical about it, then, like, Eddie Guerrero is probably Waluigi. And, hmm, who's Mario? (laughs) What are you saying right now? Luigi is, he's the one in Super Mario Brothers 2 that can jump the highest. That's why he's Rey Mysterio. Wario is a big old sort of ground-based guy who's very mean and does a lot of, of evil things. And that's why he's Chavo. And farts. And farts. And then Eddie is Waluigi because I needed for him to be someone and he's related to Chavo. <laughs> so that makes sense. I thought Waluigi and Wario aren't related. Waluigi, oh, wait, you're right. Yeah, Waluigi's just Wario's weird friend. (laughs) Maybe Eddie is Mario. Maybe Eddie is Mario. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I like that better. Ooh, but then, who is Waluigi? We'll never know, I guess. guess Psychosis. I don't know. Uh, Psychosis is definitely, like, Lenny, or Lemmy. That's his name, the Koopa Kid. Ah. Let's let's move on. I feel like we're... That's for the best, yeah. yeah. So, um, fuck. Yeah. Early on, Chavo is trying to rip the mask off, but Mysterio fights out of it. Chavo goes to the outside, and his daddy is pepping him up. Crowd is chanting, Chavo sucks. Chavo slaps Ray, and Ray turns with a bunch of strikes. Mysterio's actually able to hit the 619 pretty early, but Chavo Classic grabs Mysterio's leg when he's on the apron. So Jorge Paez comes up and punches Chavo Classic in the face, but the ref kicks Jorge Paez out, and the crowd is very upset. 
Yeah, okay, here's my question. What jurisdiction does the ref have outside of things in the ring? You know? He can he can tell Eddie, or, I mean, he can tell Chavo to do things. He can tell Ray to do things. But he can't tell just a spectator to do things. The ref has no power there, no jurisdiction. Well, and yet he does. Here's the thing. So, like, if someone from the outside interferes with the match, then he can he has jurisdiction. But if two other guys are just gonna fight and do their own thing, like, how does that right. really do anything? I agree. Um, little Chavo goes to Big Chavo's aid, and that's when Mysterio springs off the chop rope and plunches right onto Chavo. Rolls him in the ring, gets a springboard, leg drop, and covers, but Chavo kicks out. Um, Chavo charges at Rey Mysterio, but Mysterio trips him up, sends him face first into the middle middle turnbuckle. Um, We're on the top rope, and Chavo is able to hit this really impressive uh, gut buster from the top rope. Just toss him and, and slam him down onto his own knees, and it was pretty brutal. Yeah, that was that was pretty brutal. And this is again a scenario where you have contrasting styles, so you have a lot of like Ray's trying to set things up and do things, and usually if it's against a ground-based guy, he's going to get a lot of his hits in by reversing those and taking advantage of the fact that like you put yourself up in the air, so now I'm going to bring you down. I'm going to bring you down right on my knee. So now he's able to start focusing on the ribs. Interestingly, this is like the first and only match in here where we have someone focusing on like on a body part. That seems to not happen a lot yeah. in cruiserweight matches. Yeah, I also I also noticed that. Um and that's, you know, clearly if you've listened to any of our other <clears throat> clearly if you've listened to any of our other episodes, something that happens a lot in wrestling uh is the focusing on a body part, specifically an injured body part. But We've not seen a lot of that. We've not seen a lot of it. We're getting a lot of big moves, a lot of near falls, a lot of two counts. Um, Really cool moment is when both guys are out on the apron and Mysterio hits a DDT onto the apron uh, and puts him back in the ring and covers, but he, once again, only gets a two count. Just thought that was a pretty innovative move there. It was. There's, I mean, when you say there's a lot of, like, sort of near falls, there's, they've tried to pin so many fucking times in this match. Yeah, it really so keeps you times. guessing for what's going to happen, because like we've seen, cruiserweight matches can kind of end out of nowhere, so. Right. At any moment. And I, I, normally, I don't like too many pin attempts, but here I think it works really well. Yeah, I think so, too. Um... Chavo uh, hits a uh, gory bomb, which is normally his finisher, but they kind of don't even treat it as a finisher because uh, they don't even name it, and Mysterio kicks out pretty easily. So I guess he's not quite using that as his finisher yet. Um, Mysterio does hit the 619, and he f- tries to follow up with a Hurricane Rana, but Chavo rolls him through into a single-leg Boston Crab. I thought that was a pretty cool reversal. That was, that was actually a very cool reversal, I, I agree. Anytime you have a 619 flowing into anything else, it's going to be cool. And the cool thing about the 619, especially like when he comes, when he follows it up with a springboard move, there's always like this part of you it's like, okay, is he actually going to hit it or like cuz you know, I've seen guy I've seen him people turn it into a power bomb, seen people turn it into a submission, seen people duck it. It's I it's really cool 
that it's a move that can kind of be turned into anything. So you're always kind of left on the edge of your seat to see what's going to happen with that move. Right. Transitional moves like that, especially one as cool as the 619, open up so many possibilities. Absolutely. Um, Ray's eventually able to get to the bottom rope, um, and the referee makes Chavo break the hold. Ray goes to the top rope, but Chavo Classic shoves him off, and Ray guillotines himself onto the top rope um, while the ref is distracted. So Chavo rolls Rey Mysterio up and grabs the tights to get the win and win the title. I thought it was much slower than the last one, but it was made up for with good storytelling, good ring psychology. I was not a fan of the ending here. Yeah. Um, oh, oh, now you're the one that doesn't like to see Rey lose. Well, it was that Chavo Classic was so uninvolved in this match, and then... I don't know. I can't even put my no, fin- but I agree with you. finger on I agree why with you. I hated this one more than the last one. Um, I don't know. I hate, I mean, outside influence is good. Like you were saying, it lets heels win a lot of the time. And you can, without hurting the face too badly, but. It's weird how much of that we're getting in these cruiserweight matches. I don't know if it's just the matches that I happen to pick or, or what. Yeah, it has been happening Quite a bit, hasn't it? Quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Three times so far. Yeah. Um, I, I, I gave it a three out of five, though. Um, yeah, I would agree with that. I would agree with that assessment. Uh, let's go to our final match, the Royal Rumble 2006. Um, it's a Cruiserweight Championship Open, so it's a six-way match. Uh, sudden death, so first pinfall or submission wins the match um they do a lot of these with the cruiserweights after a while once they start running out of uh, this is a, a year where they start running out of ideas for the cruiserweight so basically what they just start doing is it every pay-per-view they're like okay we're gonna put every cruiserweight we have in one match and see what happens yeah this match is weird and i kind of hate it in some ways because and this one isn't as know, bad we'll, well get into it so they do something else that I kind of like a little bit better where they do it like gauntlet style where two guys start um, and then whoever wins, another guy will come out and then those guys wrestle. I kind of like that style of the cruiserweight open a little bit better than – because when you get six guys and it's like pin pinfall and submission based, it can kind of get a little too crazy. It can, and the thing is, is that I, I think that style sounds better, uh, what you're talking about there, because that's essentially kind of what happens here eventually, is that we get uh, sort of two of the six people will have a one-on-one until it gets to the time that one of them goes to pin, and then another one of the six people will come in, take the place, and break up the pin. Yeah. Uh, you can do some cool stuff with multi-man matches, but I feel like once you get past... Man, three three is good. Triple threat works good. Four starts pushing it. Once you get past four, ugh, it's it's too many. Yeah, it's too much. Um, so the gimmick here is it is it, it's only open to former former and the current cruiserweight champion. So Kid Cash comes out first. He's the cruiserweight champion. Uh, Funaki is next, and Funaki is basically just always been a jobber. Except for that one time he did actually win the Cruiserweight Championship. They randomly gave him a push, but 
Funaki would barely wrestle on SmackDown. He'd usually wrestle on Velocity, which was their show that only aired on WWE.com, and it was like, it was matches, it was like the pre-show matches for SmackDown, and then they'd air them on the web, and it wouldn't really be like yeah. anything. Wouldn't get a lot of views. Yeah, there wouldn't be a lot of, the matches would sometimes be good, but like there wasn't any storyline really. So that's Funaki's story. Um, Jamie Noble, who of course we know, Nunzio, who is a, was in ECW and came to WWE as part of the full-blooded Italians. His gimmick is that he's Italian, but he's small. You know, though, with the gimmick of this match of like anyone who's ever won the Cruiserweight title can come and challenge for it. That's kind of weird because, like, what if we did that with other sports? Like, everyone who's ever won the Super Bowl can come and play to win the Super Bowl. Imagine, like, six football teams all playing. I don't know how that would work, but... (laughs) Anyone who's ever won an Olympic gold medal for skiing can ski for the Olympic gold medal. (laughs) That is kind of cool. It's basically like... The third Hunger Games, or the second Hunger Games, or whichever it Hunger is. Games. Whichever one has all the ones that lived come back so most of them can die. Yes, that's what this match is. This match is Hunger Games 2. <laughs> um, uh, we, also, we have Paul London, who his gimmick is just super, super speed flyboy. Yeah. And then Gregory Helms is coming out as the surprise because even though he wrestles for Raw, he's making a surprise appearance here because he is a former cruiserweight champion when he was the Hurricane. He pretty recently before this uh, had a heel turn where he took off his mask and he was like, I'm fed up with you fans. Now I'm just going to be a regular dude. <sighs> you either die the hero or live long enough to see yourself become the villain. Become the regular dude. <laughs> um, Kid Cash knocks Gregory Helms out of the ring right away. Everyone starts going for a quick pin attempts right out of the gate. And then everyone starts teaming up on Gregory Helms because they're all from SmackDown and he's from Raw. Um, London hits a pretty cool move where he drop kicks Helms and moonsaults onto Noble. I've always been a big fan of Paul London. Too bad he got fired for smiling. What? So Paul London got fired for smiling because when Vince McMahon did his uh, fake death where his limousine exploded. Are you familiar with that storyline? This is, this is already ridiculous. Okay, so Vince McMahon had this storyline where he went like catatonic and wouldn't speak anymore. And at the end of an episode of Raw... He was, like, leaving to get in his limousine, and he was walking by the entire roster, and everyone was looking really somber, except for Paul London, who was smiling for some reason. And then Vince McMahon go- went in his limo, and then the limo exploded. What the fuck? And then they, like, basically the whole storyline was, who killed Mr. McMahon? And basically Paul London ruined it because he was smiling at Vince McMahon, so he kind of broke the whole, like, thing. So Vince McMahon fired him. Quick note, that storyline ended after two weeks when Chris Benoit really died. Oh! 
The, oh, so he never knew who blew up Vince McMahon's limo. Yeah, he eventually, a few months later, just came back and said he faked his own death. But yeah, no, it was really weird because there was supposed to be this three-hour episode of Raw that was a tribute to Vince McMahon dying, but then Chris Benoit died that day, and so they changed it to, oh. an, uh, to a tribute episode for Chris Benoit where Vince McMahon started the episode and was like, this was supposed to be about me dying, but actually... It became serious. Oh, my God. And then, like, of course, the the horror at the realization that you should not have done a tribute episode for Chris Benoit. Yeah, and then, of course, yeah, that it's the forgotten episode of, of Monday Night Raw. It's like that one lost episode of SpongeBob. If you're curious, if you go onto the network, that episode is replaced by the episode that aired in international markets that's just, like... Here's a look back at some matches that happened throughout this year, even though this episode is in June. <laughs> um, anyway, back to Paul London, who was fired for smiling. Um, he tries for a head scissors on Gregory Helms, but Helms tosses him out of the ring. Nunzio gets a Sicilian slice on Helms. Noble breaks it up. Noble goes for a powerbomb. Nunzio reverses it and slingshots Noble headfirst into the top turnbuckle. Funaki hits a running bulldog on Noble. Covers, but Nunzio breaks it up. I think this is what you were talking about, how basically we keep just getting one guy thrown out of the ring, and then we get another right, guy and hits then another a finisher, guy comes in. And yeah. Right. Eventually, also, I like that fucking Nunzio's finisher is called the Sicilian Slice because Giddy's Italian and pizza. Oh, I never knew that. Yeah, it's like a slice I'm, of I'm kidding. I, I, I did know it. Oh. Oh. Okay. Uh, Kid Cash backdrops Nunzio over the top rope. He goes crashing down on top of Helms in London. Um, eventually, uh, Funaki whips Jamie Noble across the ring, and Jamie Noble dives through, hits a suicide dive on Nunzio. Funaki goes to the top rope. Cash shoves him off onto Nunzio and Noble. Back at the ring, London super kicks Cash through the ropes, and then he climbs to the top rope and hits a shooting star press onto everyone. Now that was pretty cool. Yeah, that actually was that was the highlight of this match is that he he just fucking dive bombed on them all for sure. London puts Cash in the ring and starts climbing the top rope, but Helms cuts him off and hits a big swinging net breaker from the top rope. Looks like he hurt himself a little bit on that. I thought that was another pretty cool moment. Um. Cash drop kicks Helms, hits a brain buster on London. Nunzio and Funaki break up the pin. We've got everybody brawling here. Hey, you know why they broke up that pin? Why? It's Nunzio business, why? Hey, Vaden? It's Nunzio business. It's, it's, it's hey, Nunzio are you, business, are you there? why he did that. Are you there? The Skype call broke up. Did it really? Are you are you fucking with me? I'm fucking with you. <laughs> <laughs> Jamie Noble hits a fireman's carry gut buster on Funaki and then puts him in a dragon sleeper. Helms runs up, attempts a kick, but Noble ducks it. So Jamie Noble grabs him, but Helms is able to reverse it, send Noble through the second rope. Hit a shining wizard, a kick to the back of the head on Funaki out of nowhere. Pins him for the three count. And gets the win. A whole lot of action here. Pretty fun match, but, you know, not really much of a story. Yeah, I agree. The I guess the biggest thing we have for story is, like, the guy from Raw won, and normally he doesn't. 
Yeah, well, and, and again, cruiserweight matches tend to not have much of a story, especially going forward. So it's a shame. So what becomes, that's our last match for this episode, what becomes of the cruiserweight division? Because that's in, what, 2006? Yeah, this is 2006, and the, and the title uh, is retired in 2007. Um, there are only two more champions left after Gregory Helms. Gregory Helms holds it for, like, over a year. And then uh, eventually Chavo Guerrero wins it in another one of these cruiserweight open type matches. And then Chavo loses it in this match. Where here's the gimmick. It's at the Great American Bash, and they say anyone this match is open to anyone in the ring under blah 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 pounds, and as soon as the bell rings, Hornswoggle runs across the ring and goes under the ring. And then they start fighting, they have their match and everything, and then all of a sudden Hornswoggle comes out and pins somebody. You fucking... Are you fucking kidding me? I am... I wish I was. Hornswoggle, if you don't know, guys, Hornswoggle is a, is a little person whose gimmick is he's a leprechaun. And basically he's the, one of the worst things that WWE has ever done. Because any... It's basically... Hornswoggle is the deus ex machina of wrestling. <laughs> anytime someone like they can't think of how to finish a storyline or they're like they have to have a big reveal it's always fucking hornswoggle hornswoggle <laughs> comes out and wins the cruiserweight championship um after vince mcmahon turns out he faked his own death they decided to do a storyline where he has an illegitimate son it was gonna be mr kennedy but he got injured so they're like hmm we got to come up with someone else why not hornswoggle can we just start referring to this as getting woggled? Yeah. If your story ends by Hornswoggle doing something? Later they do this raw anonymous raw general manager that is just this laptop that gets emails and someone reads them and they're like, this is the anonymous raw general manager. They never reveals who the anonymous raw general manager was and then like two years later they bring it back for one night and they're like, it was Hornswoggle the whole time. Oh, my God. So what you're telling me is that in that one ladder match we saw where someone's pulling the belt up to, to uh, cheat oh someone out of Oh, my God. It was Hornswoggle. It was Hornswoggle the whole time. They didn't tell us who it was. Therefore, we must assume it, must be it Hornswoggle. was Hornswoggle. Damn. <laughs> Eventually, uh, Hornswoggle retires the belt because after he— they... The second shooter on the grassy knoll. Oh, it my was God. <laughs> Hornswoggle destroyed World Trade Center Building 7. <laughs> I fucking love this lore. Um, Hornswoggle is responsible for retiring the original Cruiserweight Championship. Um, after it's revealed that he's Mr. McMahon's son, they're like, well, you're in too much danger, so we have to retire the belt. And they never brought it back. Until a couple years ago, they created a new cruiserweight championship, and they started this show called 205 Live, which was it airs on the WWE Network. It's just cruiserweights. I've never watched it. I've heard good things, and it sounds like they're actually treating the cruiserweight division pretty well. Other than the fact well, that they we don't, we might have to do uh, do an episode on one of those. The huh? only yes, I agree. The only problem is it's like they have their own show. They're not on the main roster, so. Yeah, that does kind of suck. I really hope that we see a return to cruiserweights in the spotlight because I really enjoy that style of wrestling a lot. And I'm honestly, 
I had no idea that the title was retired and that all these horrible fucking things happened to it. That is, that's awful. Um, and then there are a lot of cruiserweights that go on and do pretty good things, like Rey Mysterio, Eddie Guerrero, um, Chris Jericho, Chavo Guerrero. Lots of guys end up becoming pretty big names who started as cruiserweights. They just weren't taken very seriously as cruiserweights. Yeah, I mean, I really hate that, like, that the stigma is attached to it like that because big old dudes, I mean, it's fine, but I've seen it before. Give me something new. Give me something cool and give me more of this cruiserweight stuff because it's really fun to watch. I mean, why do you think it's been treated so poorly? Why do you think that it it hasn't gotten its due? Because Vince McMahon is obsessed with big dudes. Vince McMahon loves big dudes. He loves big dudes. Do you think that he is more horny for Triple H than Stephanie is? A hundred percent. I also think he's more horny for Stephanie than Triple H is. <laughs> You're absolutely right. <laughs> like, that is, like, the most fucked up. Like, I mean, they're probably, like, having three ways. Oh, That's gross. the real Triple H. Oh, gross. Hunter. I was going to try to make some sort of pun, but I can't. Let's uh, let's put ourselves out of our own misery. He, her, her dad. <laughs> he, her, her dad. There you go. You wanted it. I gave it to you. Just like Vince McMahon is. Well... <laughs> He, her, her Giving dad. Giving us some horrible content sometimes. Is the funniest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> oh, God. I think every time we mention Triple H, we should give him a new acronym. <laughs> yeah, I, I, think that's, I think that's good. We should do that with all wrestlers. <laughs> like, The Undertaker. We could call him Nightmare Grandpa. I do like Nightmare Grandpa a lot. A whole lot. Well, that about does it for this edition of Turnbuckle Training. We want to encourage you to watch along with us. So next episode, we'll be discussing, and we've been kind of talking about this for a while. We've been building up to it. It's finally here. We're going to be talking about Survivor Series 1997, one of the most infamous nights in wrestling history that will teleport us from the new generation era into the Attitude Era. This is the night of the Montreal Screwjob. Oh, hell yeah. I've been really looking forward to this. Um, I'm really excited to, to watch this. Um and we'll be watching that on the WWE Network, but since Vince McMahon isn't signing our checks to promote their app, feel free to bootleg it. We won't snitch. And also, if I can add, um, we, we need you guys to do us a little favor and head over to iTunes and rate and review the podcast if you enjoy it. Uh, hoping for that five-star rating like we've got on our other podcast, Feud Fight. So if you like this podcast and you think, this podcast is better than Feud Fight, then surely it deserves your rate and review. Yeah, we need to know how great we are. Please tell us. 
You can also keep up with us 24-7 on Twitter. That's at Turnbuckle Train. Thanks for listening. It's me, Austin! The numbers don't lie, and they spell disaster for you as sacrifice. Son of a bitch! I did it for the ride. Get ready for the bonkerest event of the summer. A Three Big Dudes production. Starring me, professional toe sucker. No, we won't talk about that, but we will talk about Waluigi, Dog with a Blog, the similarities between Alf and Cousin Skeeter, and of course, the Slithler. It's Feud Fight, where we take the wild questions most people won't touch and give our scalding hot takes. And I also say terrible things that could loosely be considered word crimes, just to keep things a little spicy. Every Monday, wherever you find your podcasts.